Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, but before I get into the Brockton stuff, and I have a lot of follow-ups regarding, again, Brockton, Massachusetts and their entire school district there, and it's way deeper than what, uh, what any news headline is discussing. This I can assure you. Before I get into that, which I, I will dive into, I have a great deal of notes on that, but there's a couple of subjects here that I just wanted to mention off the top. Again, just some geopolitical things here. A lot of this, of course, has to do with what we've been told, what we're currently seeing, and how a great deal of things seem to be repeating themselves, as I kind of said at the beginning of the last episode. First of all, regarding the whole trucker convoy stuff, I'm going to go back to the southern border trucker convoy. Can somebody explain to me what came out of all of that? I mean, did anything happen? Did they accomplish anything? Did they, did they do anything? Or was it this giant money laundering scheme that just took place in front of everyone where they opened up GoFundMe accounts or this, that, or the other? And then people said, you know, give us some money because we're going down there and we're going to help with this, that, and whatever else. I don't think anything happened. So I'm starting to suspect, again, that a lot of these trucker things are not what people suspect. And again, I, I brought up numerous questions with that the last time, and I thought to myself, again, this southern border trucker convoy thing just doesn't make any sense to me. What are they actually going to be doing? So nothing's come from that, from what I can tell. No one's talking about it anymore. There's no video footage. There's nothing. It was just basically a giant parade, and then everybody went home. So my next question, of course, has to do with New York. And what's really going on with the truckers in New York? And I fully understand the trucking business, certainly from this standpoint. I don't understand everything. I'm not, a, I'm not uh, that full of myself. But I do understand that the vast majority of the individuals involved are smaller companies, if not privately owned. They're not these giant corporations. So they can, I mean, they have more leeway. They can choose to not take loads into New York State or New York City or a number of different places. I even heard a, a particular trucker, again, describing on the radio how difficult it is to even get a novice to go into a place like New York City, and they have no idea what they're doing anyway. So for them to not go, in many cases, is a whole lot easier, certainly easier on the trucking company, if not the driver and the actual equipment itself. But again, do we have any footage of them not going? Do we have a before and after sort of comparison as to what's really happening and what's really taking place there. Again, I, you know, I, I just don't know. So I, I just find it all interesting. Again, it seems like a whole lot of talk. It seems like some action is taking place, I would say, more with the New York thing than certainly the southern border thing. I just don't know how it's really all going to shake out. I don't know how it all ends, and I I, I just, I don't know. I have way more questions, I think. I know that might not sound very clear, but, you know, you hear of these giant movements, I guess you would call them, and then everybody gets on board and goes, yeah, let's do it. And then everybody starts making memes about it and moving this message around. And honestly, in many cases, I just sit back and I don't get wrapped up in all of that. I just sit back and I say to myself, well, show me. Show me what you're actually doing or not doing. Show me how the needle is being moved a particular way. So again, you know, I really don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to pinpoint regarding the whole trucker movement thing. Certainly with with New York now, 
Like I said, I, I think the southern border thing was a dud. Call that whatever you want, but it didn't seem it didn't seem legit in any way, and nothing nothing came about from any of it. I don't think it was just basically a giant look at me contest. And there you go. So I would say in the future, be real careful with things like this because, yeah, if nothing comes from it, then what's the point? Makes you wonder whether or not something else is taking place that's rather nefarious. Either way, uh, let me mention this. Sicily threw me a story from New Mexico the other day. Again, it it falls right in line with a number of other things that are taking place. and and I want to mention the phone outage thing too in, in a little bit because I think that's connected to all of this. But she sent me a story from their local KOB Channel Four news channel out there where she lives, and it was titled "125 Million Dollar New Mexico Housing Fund Awaits Governor's Signature." Now, their crazy ass governor out there is going to sign this, and what this, of course, is going to do is continue to build what they refer to as affordable housing, or what was the other term that they used? Um, it wasn't ne- well. They they of course said low income, but it also has to do with uh, workforce housing, is what they call it. So they say, well, these people are coming here, and uh, you know th- they're going to have jobs, and they need a place to live, and so on and so on. That, of course, as we all know, is code language for illegals. The other thing, too, which is interesting, is the way that these buildings are put together and, and of course, where they are put together. You heard me mention a story, I guess it would have been either back on, well, around Thanksgiving, actually, of 2023, when I noticed this giant section of land off of Interstate 70, uh, I guess it would have been just west of Columbus, was completely vacant. Again, it used to be filled with trees and maybe even a cornfield, and then it was just flat with dirt, and they, of course, had earth movers there. They also had, of course, construction uh, trailers and a number of other things. And and again, there was no indication of what exactly they were going to be building there. So my suspicion has always been that areas like that, where you're not really told what's going to be there, that it's usually, again, for housing for illegals. Again, I'm not sure why they would throw up a sign that basically says, you know, coming soon, illegal aliens. And then they just plaster that on the side of the highway for people to see. I mean, that would, that would piss off a great deal of people. But even so, I, you know, I, I personally think, of course, that this ties into everything that we are seeing. I mean, there's endless footage of individuals now, of course, coming, of course, from Middle Eastern countries, and they're coming over here wearing the same clothes, and it's not cheap clothing. You know, some, of course, are calling it tactical gear. It can be a tactical company. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's actual tactical gear the way that we would think of it, like fatigues and bulletproof vests and knee pads and helmets and things of that nature. I mean, I'm not saying that that's not coming over also. It, It has to be. But at the same time, it's the kind of people that are coming over, which is beyond suspicious. And again, I think we understand what's happening here. We know that we're being invaded, and we know that we're being invaded for some kind of a coordinated attack in the future. Again, the the dots are on top of each other regarding this entire subject, not to mention, again, these hard left-wing governors signing in potentially these kinds of, these kinds of bills into law. They're going to continue to build places for these individuals to live. 
this seems like treason to me. Does it not? I mean, I know that's the obvious statement of the century, but that's what's going on here. Again, if there if there is, in fact, a nationwide or worldwide coordinated effort to engage in a sting operation to take these people down who have been allowing all of this to take place, I sure as hell hope that's the case. In fact, that leads me to this before I get into the phone the phone outage stuff, because I think the phone outage stuff is, is connected. But I wanted to read this first. This is a post on greatawakening.win, and I have it on pretty good authority now that this board is basically turning into a bit of a Reddit kind of board, which sucks. Um, it's certainly not the way that Vote used to be back when Vote was an actual awesome website. Again, Vote still exists in its own right, but it's not, it's not what it used to be either when it came to real intel and real information from anonymous people. But either way, there's occasionally some very good posts on here that are certainly thought-provoking. And here was one that I came across, and it was titled, Can We Sue the Feds for This? Perhaps at least some of the organizations James O'Keefe has caught. It says, Title 8 U.S. Code Subsection 1324, Bringing in and Harboring Aliens. And I want to read this section because it kind of breaks it down. And then the actual poster themselves broke down a number of other laws that are being broken and openly violated. So here's what it says again. It was titled Title 8 U.S. Code Subsection 1324, Bringing in and Harboring Aliens. It says each year, middle, millions rather, of unauthorized immigrants attempt to enter the United States illegally, and many succeed. For many people, America represents a land of opportunity and families will cross state borders hoping to build a better life. But many people may not know that assisting or harboring aliens in entering the country illegally is a federal crime subject to criminal prosecution. I think right there's the hang-up, because we're being told by government that it's not illegal, that them crossing over the border and coming here is not illegal as long as they say that they're seeking asylum, that that's the loophole that exists here. But it goes on. It says, Title Eight U.S. Code 1324 details numerous situations where bringing in and harboring aliens, i.e. non-U.S. nationals, violates federal law. It says to fight the problem of illegal immigration, Congress has established this comprehensive anti-human smuggling law. It targets people who help people cross American borders and enter our harbors illegally, and those who help these aliens remain in the United States. However, to be convicted of violating federal human smuggling laws, Federal prosecutors must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you knew that the person was not a U.S. citizen or that you recklessly disregarded the truth about their citizenship. Well, again, we know that they're not citizens. That's a given. That's beyond obvious. All you have to have is a pair of eyes. Um, again, the question is, is, are these Christian, Jewish, and other groups, and of course our entire government, bringing them here under the guise of them seeking asylum, or, you know, again, is that clearly the loophole and the, and the terminology that's being used to allow them to come here? It says, depending on the circumstances and the specific offense, if you're convicted under this law, you could face between one and 20 years in federal prison. And if someone dies as a result of your actions, you could even face life imprisonment. Let's review this federal statute in more detail below. 
And here again is what the actual poster themselves included in this. Uh, they said the following, quote, which of these hasn't been funded and or executed by the Fed? The first one is smuggling aliens into the United States under subsection 1324A1AI makes it a crime to bring illegals into the United States by any entry place other than the designated port of entry or another legal entry port. It says this is true even if the alien aliens in question has been legally authorized to enter. So we know that's been violated because they're coming in a thousand different ways at a thousand different locations. The next one says transporting unauthorized aliens under subsection 1324A1AII makes it a crime to transport an unauthorized alien inside the United States by any means of transportation while knowing the alien has entered the country illegally. Well, hasn't Greg Abbott done that? How about Ron DeSantis? Hasn't he done that too? How about every governor that's allowing these individuals to come in? What about every sheriff who's allowing this to take place? Aren't they guilty also? Again, if a real sting operation is taking place regarding this issue alone, you'd have to arrest everybody. You'd have to arrest city council members, mayors, etc., etc. Again, they're all gaslighting one another into saying, well, these people need a better life, and that's why they're coming here, and we should help them, and let's take this open piece of land and reappropriate it for illegal aliens, and we'll give them a place to stay, because they're people too. It all, it all is illegal, at least based on this. It says, harboring unauthorized aliens under subsection 1324A1AII makes it a crime to harbor, shield, or conceal an unauthorized alien knowingly. Harboring includes providing shelter or other assistance, financial, food, etc. Seems like a lot of people are doing that, doesn't it? The next one, encouraging illegal entry under subsection 4. Well, I'll just start saying the, the final numbers here. It's four of the exact same subsection makes it unlawful to encourage aliens to enter the United States illegally. This includes inducing or persuading aliens to cross the border without proper authorization. That's happening too. The next one, conspiring with others to bring in aliens illegally, aiding, abetting under subsection 5, makes it a federal crime to conspire with others to bring unauthorized aliens into the United States or assist them in doing so whether or I'm sorry, whether for financial gain or not. Seems like that's happening also. The next one, uh, and there's only two more here, bringing unauthorized aliens into the United States under subsection 1324A2, likely smuggling aliens, unlike, sorry, unlike smuggling aliens, which only deals with bypassing legitimate ports of entry. This section makes it a federal crime to knowingly bring any unauthorized alien into the country at any port or by any means. Well, that pretty much means that the airliners are guilty of this too then, doesn't it? Don't the airliners have to go down too in all of this? And then the last one, it says, knowingly hiring unauthorized aliens under subsection 1324A3A. 
Newly added to this law in 1996, it is now a crime for any employer to hire 10 or more unauthorized aliens within 12 months knowingly. Again, this comes from a website called thefederalcriminalattorneys.com slash harboring aliens. It's over. It's just over flipping whelming. It seems like all of this is happening right right in front of us, and no one's doing anything about it, which frankly brings in, again, the phone outage story. Um, I'm going to tie Q posts into this because I have a good memory and I have to do that. If you followed the Q posts, you may recall that when that was going on, there was chatter about how the enemy and even politicians and those in the FBI and CIA and the James Clappers and John Brennans and Jim Comey's of the world, that they were, even Hillary Clinton herself, were actually using PlayStation and Xbox along with their Gmail accounts to communicate back and forth instead of, of course, picking up a cell phone or using a burner phone or flat out texting one another or even using some authorized email that they had. The story that I recall regarding the Gmail accounts was they would all be given the exact same username and password. And then they would type out an email in a draft email, which as you know, when you, when you type out an email and it's a draft, it just saves itself as a draft email. You haven't sent it anyplace, but the server remembers the email and saves the email there as a draft. And then what they would do is, is they would type each other messages in draft emails. And then everybody would log in at their own time and check the draft email folder because, again, they, they had the, the same username and passwords that they were sharing with one another. And then they would be able to communicate that way. That that was one way that they were communicating. The other way that they were communicating was in online chat forums, specifically through video games using PlayStation and Xbox more specifically. And there were a number of Q posts where we were told this, and then they would say things like, you don't think it's a coincidence that all of the PlayStation 4 and Xbox online accounts were turned off at the exact same time on the exact same day for the exact same amount of time, do you? And again, the indication there, as the discussion pursued online, and certainly continued online, had to do with the fact that that's what was going on. That the good guys were catching the bad guys using those outlets to communicate with one another. The reason that I mention that is because I don't think that the phone outage thing was an accident. I think that the phone outage thing is always a giant on purpose. Again, whether it's white hats pulling the plug, it's black hats pulling the plug, but somebody's pulling the plug, and they're pulling it for a very specific reason. Now, we know what the spin would be on a story like that. They would say, well, it was a solar flare, and it was the largest uh, climate change anomaly that's happened since God knows when, and that's why the phones all went out. I don't buy that for a minute. All of that's just the fake story that they sell, you know, sell the climate change dummies and anybody else who buys into that. I don't buy it. I think that there's way more going on here. And again, turning off people's cell phones is a big deal, as you might expect. If you can crush people's cell phone connection and they don't have a hard line, 
or you were to even be able to, to cut a hard line at some point, and you have no communication of any kind regarding that method of communication, well, all hell would break loose. And it wouldn't take long for all hell to break loose, in particular in a densely populated area. You'd have a great deal of people stepping on one another and, uh, and flipping out. Not to mention, again, the no internet access option, I think, or certainly the card in the deck of cards that could be played. You throw that out there, again, that could, that could create a level of chaos also. So family members not being able to contact family members, friends, employers, et cetera, et cetera. That, uh, that is all, always, I think, a scenario that's on the table here that people have to take into consideration. And frankly, again, this latest outage, I don't think it was an accident. And uh, it may be a warning shot for people based on, again, what, what might potentially be coming down the line here. I'm noticing a lot of posts online too that have a great uh, a, a great deal to do with individuals warning individuals who again live in or around cities and saying that you know we understand that lots of people have a bug out bag or a bug out plan if they have to leave a particular scenario people are openly now stating hey look you should have a bug in plan you should be prepared to stay put where you are and that if you can't leave or you can't get in your car and you can't get moving, then you'd better make sure that, again, you're prepared to have on hand what you need to have on hand in order to basically stay put and, uh, and survive with what you have around you. I think that's, I, I, I mean, I think that's a logical solution and a logical approach to take for just about anyone, regardless of where they live. But yes, you should have the ability to move from point A to point B if something were to go down. But at the exact same time, it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have enough, of course, to where you can stay put for an extended period of time. So, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm not saying it to panic anybody. I'm just saying that you know when, when news channels and everybody start reporting on outages of particular kinds, you can look at it a number of different ways. And I think that one of those ways is actually a good thing. It could very well be that good guys are behind the scenes pulling, pulling the plug because they're catching people, because there's something else always going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And yeah, you know, that's, that's one scenario. But again, that story is basically already gone by now. So I know people were waking up with particular messages on their phones. I didn't have an issue personally. I have a Verizon phone. Uh, I'm on a Verizon plan, but I didn't. I didn't necessarily have an issue, but I know a lot of people who did. So there you go. Anyway, always dive back into those Q posts. I'm telling you. You know, you can you can type in a number of different words in the search boxes on those websites, and uh, in, in a number of different posts and even deltas specific to dates and times. Uh, you know that we're living through now explain a great deal of information. So you can take that for what you want. I know I've been criticized for bringing up Q-related stuff before, but I'm sorry. The fact is, is I followed that along as it was actually happening. And it, again, it encourages people to think and think about things in different ways and understand that there is a kinetic war taking place behind the scenes. And that is a very real thing. That is not an accident. So there you go. It's my two cents on that. Okay. One last thing here geopolitically, and this is kind of a big deal, 
In fact, it's a big enough deal to where I'm going to take this PDF and I'm going to put it on the website under the government documents tab in that giant uh, numbered list. And this will be the most recent one at the bottom of that list. I came across this and this wasn't getting any attention online. And uh, I dove into it and it's not good. This is another think tank. And you know my threshold for these think tanks. Me personally, just to be blunt, I think that any think tank that is loaded with individuals who are associated with either banks, universities, or other NGOs, that these think tanks and the people who run them and participate in them should be arrested for treason and sedition, because that's exactly what these think tanks always seek to do. They always seek to change America. We need to improve America. We need to change it. We need to do this. We need to do that. The only word I hear is control and destroy. I, I mean, those two words. I hear those two words with regularity. This one is called rpa.org. That's the website. And it is titled, uh, The Regional Plan Association, as they call themselves, works towards a better future for the tri-state region. And this particular PDF, which I will link on my website, is titled, America 2050, the America 2050 Prospectus. So let me mention the About section of this website here. Again, it's got a lot of different things. Uh, regional plans, they talk about their staff, their board of directors, all the committees that they have. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, this is the tri-state area that they're referring to. They talk about how you can join their team if you live in the New, uh, Newark, Newark, rather Princeton, Stamford, Connecticut areas. Uh, of course, the first two being New Jersey. They're a 501c3 nonprofit, publicly supported as described in the 509a1 of the Internal Revenue Code. They have regional plans. Again, they've been around for over 100 years or approximately that. It says, since 1929, Regional Plan Association has released four long-range plans to guide the growth and development of the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut metropolitan areas. These efforts have shaped and improved the region's economic health, environmental sustainability, and quality of life. Ideas and recommendations put forth in these plans have led to blah, 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 blah. Again, they have a research division, planning, advocacy. Uh, yeah. Anything that started up, any think tank that started up in the 20s and is still around, claiming that they're actually improving anything when clearly they're not, because when I think of improvement, the New York, I mean, New York State, New Jersey, and Connecticut do not come to mind, right? <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty ridiculous. But even so, that again, this is this is what these people do. This is uh, this is their whole plan. So the PDF is alarming. You're talking about 15 minute city stuff. You're talking about remapping districts. It's uh, it's abundant. That's about all I can say. I could spend an entire episode on it without a doubt, but it's safe to say again that when it comes to NGOs like this and these think tanks, me personally, they should be eliminated. They should be illegal. They shouldn't even be allowed to exist. 
Because again, who, who makes these individuals the be-all, end-all of, of decision-making? Who, who gets to say that these are the people that get to decide what's best for America and how America should look like and what it should look like in the future? Again, they talk about population change, how that motivates a great deal of what they're doing. They openly discuss essentially illegal immigration. They don't put it that way, but they talk about population growth. And they openly state that the population in the United States is going to increase by 2050 by, I would say, at least a fourth of the population, according to them. Well, who's that really going to be? Again, is it going to be Americans or is it going to be illegals? I think we have a pretty good idea. They're doing whatever they can to kill us while bringing in as many people as humanly possible from foreign countries. Again, lots of line graphs, lots of charts in this PDF, lots of summaries, and they normalize all of it. Again, it's, you know, it's very visual. You got maps and you've got locations. And of course, they highlight, uh, you know, northern Washington, uh, the coast, rather, of Washington State and Oregon, along with California, uh, parts of Arizona, certainly plenty of parts throughout Texas, the entire Gulf Coast, um, Florida, right through, of course, the Midwest, giant swath below the Appalachian Mountains, right into North Carolina. Same thing with uh, right up the eastern seaboard. I mean, this is just not, it's not good. And throughout this entire document, I should say this too, th they refer to this as mega regions. So again, they're basically, it's, well, I, I would almost go so far as to say it's not just a one world government. They're basically trying to dissolve America and just turn it into one giant region or certain sections of America and basically divide it up. So on this one page, I want to say, uh, let's see, page 14 of this document, it says, the America 2050 strategy. It says it seeks to facilitate the emergence of 10 or more mega regions by focusing on five key objectives. Create capacity for growth is one. Reestablish upward social and economic mobility is, is number two. Protect and reclaim region-shaping natural resource systems. Number four, promote new financing and decision-making frameworks. And number five, reform the federal role in land use policy. None of that sounds good to me. All of that is bad. All of that is taking away our rights to our own land and giving it to these NGOs and global governments. None of this is good. So, there you go. And I will say this again, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of Bergs and Steins and Chens and Wongs associated with all of this and that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody either, but you've got three co-chairs and a bunch of committee members and a lot of them are tied into these universities big universities, big CIA hubs. Again, University of Texas at Austin, University of Pennsylvania, Ari uh, let's see, Arizona State University, University of Michigan, um, South Florida Regional Planning Council, Gulf Coast Institute, uh, University of Pennsylvania, I already said that one. Again, you're, you're, you're talking about also former members of government. Former Secretary of the Interior, Bruce Babbitt, is one of the members. Uh, this, uh, let's see, the 
School of Urban Studies and Planning in Portland State University, the Georgia Institute of Technology. I mean, I don't trust these people. Anytime I hear of a committee getting together, it, it sends a chill down my spine. So I wanted to make, you know, again, just bring this to your attention. This is, this is another one of those think tanks that, again, is seeking to redesign the very ground that we walk on. And then, of course, reappropriate everything. And uh, I don't know, just spread their wings and basically burn everything. So America 2050 is what they call this, a prospectus. Again, they're just getting together and trying to control everybody. So that, again, is from the Regional Plan Association, and I will link that on my website under the Government Documents tab. Okay. Brockton, Massachusetts. Here we go. Uh, let me set up the timeline here for this again, because, again, I have a feeling that it was a little confusing in the last episode as to when particular moves were made in that district and when the meetings were taking place. And then, of course, the decision to bring in the National Guard or the proposal, I should say, from four of the board members. Um, but let me, let me mention this too. First of all, the meeting that took place that you heard in the last episode with those audio clips from those teachers that were describing a number of different things that were occurring and had occurred in the past, that was on January 31st of this year. I watched the rest of the meeting, and there were a number of different stories that came out of that, specifically from, from teachers themselves. But there's also a theme that runs through this, which I also think is remarkably problematic. And as you might expect, this goes way beyond the school being violent. I mean, everything is wrong in this district, ladies and gentlemen, everything. So bear with me as I kind of go through these notes here, because this right here is a perfect case study as to how a complete school district uh, is collapsing. And it's collapsing because of, again, the decisions that are being pushed on them by government. And then the decisions that the local area around them, like city council, mayor's office, law enforcement, the way that they are all connected, and that when one of them starts to sink in the middle of the ocean, they just grab the leg of the other and just pull them down with them. And then everybody ends up drowning in their own poor decision making. But people, again, have to wrap their heads around the fact that this is being done on purpose. This is not accidental. So here we go. And yes, of course, I mean, there's incompetence and stupidity and a number of other things. Uh, first of all, some of the other stories that came out of the last, the, the I'm sorry, January 31st meeting when I, when I turned off the audio. One particular teacher came up, and he was a coach, and he was openly describing his arm being broken. He said he was left, left-handed, and his radius and ulna were broken in the middle of trying to break up a fight. He ended up falling to the ground. Someone fell on his arm, broke his arm. He was out for a number of weeks, as you would expect, received uh, endless hours of physical therapy, and then it didn't heal properly, and he had to go back to not just physical therapy, but he had to actually have reconstructive surgery on it and then go back to physical therapy. As it turns out, no one on the board knew about this. I mean, the superintendent and, and the president of the board is also the mayor of the town, or at the very least, the former mayor of the town. So the communication there is terrible. 
I think that goes without saying. But one of the threads that runs through this, and, and, I, and I mean this, and I again, I don't mean to insult anyone who has experienced this themselves based on where they live or where they went to school or where they were born, but this inbreeding thing that does take place where you have, for example, which is the case in Brockton, you have people who were born there, they've lived there their whole life. They graduated from the school district. They go off to college or they stay in the general area for college, and then they come back to the same town that they were born in to then teach in the same school that they themselves graduated from, or they become an administrator or even a school board member in that same district where they grew up. This is not a resume item. This is not... uh, it's not a qualification for, for good things happening in the future. It, it doesn't, by default, qualify somebody for being good at a thing. And certainly, this, is, this should prove this to anyone, because many of these people that you're hearing from, the school teachers, administrators, etc., including board members, these people grew up here. They grew up here. They don't know anything else. They will stay there, and they will die there. And, and again, I refer to this as inbreeding. They just remain. So this is an issue. Now, on the, on the flip side of that coin and on the other end of the spectrum, you've heard the phrase constantly where people will say that you need to act locally, think globally, or even, again, uh, think locally, act globally. They'll flip them around. This, too, isn't necessarily a good thing either. Because what will happen is, is sometimes these school districts will invite people in from the outside, and that doesn't make the environment any better either. Just because somebody comes from another place doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be good at the job or even do the right thing. In many cases, I would even state that it almost by default means that they bring with them a, a load of baggage, which could be remarkably corrupt or politically indoctrinated one way or another, which wouldn't be a good thing. But that right there, again, regardless of what side of the spectrum they sit on, all of this is bad. That's basically the, that's the summary of that. All of it's bad because no one's on the same page. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and vice versa, and no one's communicating. So all of that was certainly the case. Uh, in that same meeting on the 31st, later on in the meeting, the superintendent, again, was openly talking about how they need more committees. We need committees and committees, and there have to be more committees. This is a huge problem. You don't need more committees because committees are the problem. It's just kicking the can down the road. The other false suggestion that always gets made is, is that students and parents need to sit on these committees. This is a mistake. They should never be sitting on committees, not ever. If you can't run a school building with the paycheck that you're receiving as a superintendent, then you have no business running the school building. If you're having to rely on what parents or students are saying, I mean, that's, that's a massive issue. In fact, um, in the next meeting, which took place on February 6th, and it took place in a completely different room in a completely different area, They had, again, a public comment section right at the beginning. One of the students coming up to the lectern, there were two of them, if memory serves, 
one of them was again bragging about how um, everybody would do well to not focus on the 10% of students that are making the place terrible and they should focus on the 90% of students that are doing the right thing. Well, that's all fine and dandy, except what that student doesn't understand is, is that Brockton, Massachusetts as a school district, is tens of millions of dollars in debt. And this is the issue. I mean, you're talking about a complete financial collapse. It's already collapsed. It's underground. It's underwater. And they're having a hard time uh, getting a breath of fresh air because they can't, because they're broke and in debt. So that's the real issue. But again, when you hear a student come up to the lectern and go, well, I'm going to Europe for my choir and I have straight A's and I'm the cat's pajamas, you want to look at that person and say, go sit down. Good for you. Why you keep coming to this school district is beyond me, but go sit down. This is above your head. It's way too deep, and you can't comprehend what's really going on here. So I want people to understand again that violence in school buildings is only a piece of the puzzle. It's always indicative of a much larger problem. And again, you're talking about personnel, you're talking about pay. You're talking about unions and union influence. You're talking about some of the dumbest decisions you could possibly make that don't get fixed, that are easy fixes. Let me give you an example. You can't make this one up. In fact, I've never even heard of this. This is such a, a specific level of stupidity that it, it boggles the mind. In the, 30, in the 31st meeting, January 31st meeting, which again, you heard part of it in the last episode. They openly stated, the teachers did, and you heard one of them say it, that they wanted their keys back, that they want their classroom keys back because none of them have classroom keys because none of them have the ability to lock their own doors. Now, why is that? What apparently happened in the past, and I don't know how long it's been this way there, but they had a school security active shooter training company come in and tell them that the safest thing for them to do was to make all of the locks on all of the doors in the building exactly the same, so that they could all be unlocked or locked with one key. But the, but the teachers themselves don't have that key. And then the justification for not giving the teachers the key is because if one of the keys goes missing, and a student replicates the key, or anybody replicates the key, then they can get into any room or any closet or office that they want to in the entire building. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of such an asinine decision or policy in my entire life. In every building where I worked, and I worked in, if you include, again, even student teaching, um, one, two, three, I worked in five, what would be five buildings. We always had our own key for our own room. That was it. No one else had that key except for administration and then, of course, the custodians. They had a master key that would allow them to get into any, any room that they needed to enter at any time. But we as school teachers didn't have anybody else's key, nor should you. I mean, that defeats the purpose of privacy also, and again, keeping track of your own belongings and a thousand other things. 
But such a stupid decision like that by a school district, again, should show people that one bad decision leads to another and it leads to another. And then you have a domino effect where you're not even keeping the books correctly in your own district office, which clearly they are not. So I wanted to bring that up because, again, that was one, that was one very specific thing. There was something else that's going on in the high school, which no one's talking about, which was revealed in these meetings, which is that you have complete strangers entering the building and just hanging out there all day long. I mean, <laughs> again, it's like you have local gang members, you know, teenagers or people in their early 20s uh, just coming in and just hanging out, smoking in the bathroom and walking the hallways and getting out of the cold weather and, and just chilling. And they're not even students there. Again, this is not a safe environment. But these brainwashed parents and students keep going like it's a safe environment. In fact, later in that same meeting, one of the board members openly stated, we got to start changing these policies before somebody gets killed. Fact is, is I'm shocked no one's died yet. Somebody should be dead there by now. I mean, they even brought up a particular fight that was caught on camera where a girl was getting kicked in the head long after she was completely unconscious. Again, you know, you can't save these environments. You can't save an environment like that. So again, it, it, it wasn't just the key issue and it wasn't just student identification that was the problem and, of course, the constant trespassing, but their cell phones. The cell phone policy as I stated in the last episode, is absolutely just perfect. And I'm saying that being sarcastic. Uh, it is not perfect. They, again, are reaping what they sow. They introduced the, the cell phone availability as being their policy and saying, well, everybody can use cell phones. And then, of course, that entire house of cards fell in. Now they're experiencing the backlash of what that means and, and what that's meant. Unfortunately, now it leads to other things that I've brought up in past episodes, which is even worse, which is they spend a million dollars to make sure that every student has one of these lockable cases that they have to put their phones in. And then they lock them in this case before they even enter the building. The ironic part about that is that one of the teachers, again, in, in the last episode, was talking about how he openly addressed a student and told him to do something, and the student told him right to his face to go F himself. So if you have a student looking you right in the face to go F yourself, and, and at the exact same time you're begging the school board to basically redo their cell phone policy, which allows teachers to take cell phones, what do you think is going to happen when you try to take a student's cell phone? The video evidence is already out there of what happens when you try to take a student's cell phone away from them when they don't want to give it to you. All hell breaks loose. A desk gets thrown, a fist gets thrown, somebody, somebody ends up getting seriously hurt. And again, a teacher can't physically rip a cell phone away from a child in, in any real situation. You, you can't do that. Again, you're, you're instigating a violent situation. So this is a lose-lose for everybody. But the one thing they're not doing, again, is expelling people. They're not expelling students permanently. They're, they openly state that they can, but they were like, well, it takes a lot of time. And again, the superintendent of this district is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. This guy is slow. And I'm being kind when I say that. I mean, he's, he's just slow. But again, he's, he's got an excuse for just about everything. 
So there was that. Then that's just my first page of notes. Um, the February 6th meeting was an interesting one. One of the whack job teachers actually came to the lectern at the beginning, and she's not well. And you can tell by the way that she talks and her tone of voice. Not to mention, again, she's bringing up things and brings up things that have absolutely no relevance to the real problem, because their problem is a financial one. That's really the biggest issue. Yes, you have violence. Yes, you have drugs. Yes, you have trespassing and all those, and you have full-blown stupidity. But at the base of it, at the foundation, you have no finances whatsoever. And of course, this is the job of the lobby. This is what, this is what the lobby is doing to the entire uh, landscape of education. They are bankrupting it on purpose, and they're bankrupting it by hiring stupidity. So, th you know, th there's your whole diversity hire thing. And I'll get into that a little bit later because it's kind of interesting. Um, it's certainly interesting based on who they've who they've decide decided to hire to basically try to fix their problems. Um, she, anyway, like I said, the proposal that that she was making, this particular teacher were attempting to make, is that having a brand new school building was going to fix their violence problems. That oh, by the way, I mean she apparently doesn't know that they're flat broke, but uh, she actually said, you know, if we had a new high school with a functioning air conditioning unit and, and a functioning furnace and, you know, the, the, the windows were insulated, I mean, we would actually have a nicer environment. If we had a nicer environment, well, there wouldn't be any violence. Ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you from personal experience, having moved from FEMA trailers into a brand new three-story school building, that uh, having nice stuff on the walls and having nice ambiance, so to speak, even though it looks like a prison always, that doesn't fix your violence problem. The violence problem is a systemic problem from the administration and the people who work within right through the students and then right down into the home environment and the lack of parents. And then, of course, the surrounding criminality that exists in the town or city wherever a person lives and where the school is located. So no, the, the, the short answer to her is no, um, th that never fixes anything. It just doesn't. Uh, let's see. They have years of unpaid bills, years. And again, all financial problems. This dates back to 2020 and 2021. The irony, again, everybody buying into the COVID line, everybody repeating that COVID line, all the money that came with it. Well. They're having a hard time now. They have at least uh, $5.1 million in ESSER money left, and they have to spend it by this September or else they have to give it all back. So they're having a hard time figuring out where it has to go because it, it can only go to specific things. So like I said, they're millions in debt. Um, on the February 6th meeting, there was another student who came up to the lectern and was complaining about prom and how they need a prom dance, and she's looking for fundraisers for prom dance, and this is a rite of passage, and it's very important for everybody that we have prom. Ladies and gentlemen, they can't afford the water bill, let alone a prom. They can't afford anything. And, I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves, prom's a waste of time. It's always a waste of time. And, again, these students have no idea what's going on and what they're advocating for. They just sound out of touch. When you come up and you beg a, a broke school board 
to have a prom because, you know, your precious little useless dance, it might not take place. Uh, it's just, it's pathetic. Um, let me see here. Still on my second page of notes. Uh, it says that uh, they don't have the money to hire anybody. It's kind of a big one. There's, a, there's basically a hiring freeze. They have, they have these individuals that are, that are working there based on grants, apparently. And, you know, particular aides that are working there, but they're having a, a next to impossible time with substitutes. And then, of course, they, they just aren't hiring anybody. And, of course, they're losing teachers. And the reason for that is rather obvious, I think, including the biological weapon that's been going around that apparently they all think is beneficial. Uh, what, did they, what did they even say? I think I heard the superintendent say that they have 100 vacancies for employees in that district. A hundred. I mean, good Lord. And then ultimately it said that they were $300 million in debt, if I'm getting that correct. Again, I, I think I said 30 some odd million earlier. I, I think I heard 300 million. Uh, at least that was their budget. And yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, they have a $300 million budget. There we go. $300 million budget, but they're millions in debt. So basically, they're spending more than they have. And they're wasting their time on on endless things that don't need to be there. Again, it's like these people have amnesia, and they can't go back 40 years and say, you know, what were we doing 40 years ago? Um, you know, there's an, a, another element of this which has to be brought up too. And it's not just the special education aspect of it, which, as we know, is bankrupting endless school districts because there's apparently more money being thrown into special ed. Well, I remember a time when there was no special ed. I mean, you had the one room next to the furnace down at the other end of the, you know, other end of the building where the kids who would eat each other's boogers basically hung out. And then you had basically everybody else. You had Gen Pop. There was none of this talented and gifted college prep, uh, you know, this, that, or the other. It was everybody was in the building, basically in the same class for the most part at the same time, doing the same kinds of things. But now everything is divided. And with that division comes again different money and different funds. All this has done is complicate everything. It hasn't actually made anybody smarter, it's just made everything worse. So that's continuing to be a huge problem that they have. Um, what's the other one here? Now I, okay, yeah, I wrote down tens of millions of dollars in debt here. Uh, it says all of their programs, again, they can't pay for because they don't have the money for them. Uh, they have very few teachers, very few bus drivers. They have high health insurance rates. In fact, the, and here's the, here's two of the people that they're actually bringing in to try to fix their financial problems. It's, it's two white people. Uh, I'm just painting the picture for you, but it was this big white gal and then this big white guy. And the guy lives in Springfield, Massachusetts, and he basically turned around their school district apparently in Springfield because they were insolvent. So now he's been basically hired by this school district to turn them around, and he's having a hard time. And he's on Zoom and on these Zoom calls talking talking to the uh, you know the district officials. He's going, we're, you know, we're looking for this and we're looking for this. And, and I don't understand why in your district office you weren't keeping track of this and why these accounts are still open and money's still being taken out. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, they have, they have a level of illegality and money mismanagement there that 
just cannot be quantified. Um, what else did he say? Oh yeah, health insurance costs. It's gone up by $4 million. He said last year you had a $31 million health insurance rate and, and costs rather regarding health insurance. He said now it's $35 million. He goes, that's, uh, that's not a small increase. <laughs> which, which, of course, it isn't. It's $4 million. And that's $4 million they don't have. Um, again, they have outstanding grant money that they haven't spent, apparently. And the grants haven't been shut down when they apparently should have been. So again, I guess in summary, on my last page of notes here, I wrote stupidity, past illegality, violence, poor money management, too many programs, etc. And then when you increase the use of a biological weapon and, and the pressure to, to use that and take that, under the guise of it being some preventative medicine for something that doesn't exist, all hell is going to break loose. And then I would say the cherry on top is illegal aliens, although those are probably interchangeable between the whipped cream and the cherry on top. I mean, you get what I'm saying. Those are both elements that these individuals cannot wrap their heads around because these environments are loading up with illegals. and. If memory serves, they were hiring upwards of 40 people at $10,000 a person to basically be an aide inside of these schools for students who do not speak English fluently. And again, this guy who's managing the money, he basically said that's $400,000 that you're spending on part-time help at 10 at again $10,000 a head for these individuals to work in inside of these buildings with these particular students he's like i don't i don't know what to tell you again this is the this is the issue here the illegal aliens are bankrupting these environments because they don't have the money to house them they don't have the money to do anything with them they're just there and that's not good. Now, again, the district says to themselves, well, uh, you know, a new student shows up. Say, for example, you live in a district where the student, uh, the, the cost per student that the, that the district gets is approximately three grand. Well, if that's an illegal alien who can't speak English and you have to pay somebody to come in and teach them English throughout the entire course of the day, either Again, clearly on part-time, which is $10,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. And I don't know many people who would want to do that. But that's not fiscally responsible either. You're spending ten grand for a $3,000 intake. You're losing $7,000 per student then. As a district, you're losing seven grand per illegal alien. And that's just assuming, again, that the money is being put up and that it's only $3,000 per student. As far as their state, you know, their state, uh, their state cattle price tag that's attached to their ear. This is, this is a massive problem. I mean, this alone is going to, is going to collapse the entire K-12 brick-and-mortar indoctrination camp. I, I don't know what else to say. 
you know, I wrote on Substack over a year and a half ago about illegal aliens. I think it was 2022 when I wrote that article. Could have been, yeah, it was. October of 2022, if memory serves. I said, this will flatten it. And this is, and it's happening. This is it. Brockton, Massachusetts proves it. So again, they have government games, government nonsense, government programs, climate change this, climate change that, blah, 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 blah. All it's doing is wasting money. It's just a constant waste of money. Again, the technology that gets introduced, the technology that breaks, the money that comes with all of the introduction, the money that comes with having to replace the broken technology. It's collapsing, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else to say. It's just collapsing. So I watched their latest video. Um, Well, not the full thing yet, but I started watching it, and that aired on Wednesday, February 21st. And again, they had a a state representative in who represents Massachusetts and Washington, D.C., but represents that particular district. And you might recognize his face, but he was in on the meeting and he looked stumped. I mean, he didn't have any answers and he didn't have any very good questions either. Because again, the people running the district are that big guy who was on the Zoom call, who's basically going through all of the books and he's going, "You're, you're screwed. And he's not saying it that way, because, but, I mean, that's his tone. And then again, he's working with another woman who is also going through the books also, and she's basically saying the same thing too. And he openly states numerous times, he openly says, I'm reluctant to give anybody a particular number based on you know the, the fiscal year of this year and, and next year and the year after because we just don't know yet and I don't want to scare anybody. I mean, that's pretty much the indication that they're screwed. So there you go. In fact, I want to read this. This was a comment that was on my BitChute channel under the last episode where I where I first brought this up. And this individual has commented before, and I thank him for listening and, and making comments. They They claim that they are from the Brockton area. And here's what they said. They said, quote, my mom was a teacher in Brockton and retired over 15 years ago. My dad was a Brockton cop and retired over 25 years ago, died from Vax turbo cancer, which I have spoken about here before. They said it used to be a good city, lots of middle-class working families, used to be a lot of good restaurants there. Now, no one wants to go near Main Street and the couple of restaurants that are left. It's a sewer pit, crime-infested clusterfuck. Now it's a disgrace. It's beyond repair at this point. The changes that happened to the city are now fully ingrained everywhere. It's a shithole lost city full of idiots that want to live gangsta life. Have at it, boys. Uh, they, they wrapped up and said, I'm glad I moved away from Massachusetts two decades ago. I could see the collapse ingredients being added to community. Anyone could see it coming if you had half a brain, unquote. Yeah, again, I, you know, I've never lived there, but I remember playing documentaries in my in my health education class as a middle school health education teacher about Brockton, Massachusetts, and their heroin problem, and their oxycotton problem, and their methadone problem, and and a number of other things. Uh, it, it was beyond sad back then, and I thought to myself, how do you possibly fix that environment? And the answer apparently is is you can't. So not when you're inviting in all of this 
illegality, stupidity, uh, and illegal aliens, and then, of course, a biological weapon. Where, again, in the last episode, you heard that one board member who was, again, he's, I would say he's one of the more, one of the more blunt board members. Uh, he's not that bright, but he was the one who openly said, I mean, look, the National Guard does good things, you know, like distribute COVID vaccines. I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding. So that's what, that's what they're dealing with. And they're no getting out of it. There just isn't. So that's Brockton, Massachusetts. I'll uh, I'll keep bringing you information from there as it as it kind of pops up. But that right there again, I did a dive on it the way that you know the Gateway pundit isn't going to do a dive, and nobody else is going to do a dive on it the way that I did. I mean, you got to watch these meetings. You got to get into it. And uh, you know, yeah, I, I just it's like a soap opera, but it's real. Now let me move on to jab stuff too, because again, you talk about a soap opera. I mean, my God. This information, again, not new, but it's on the carousel. It's on the carousel of stories that just keep making the rounds here as if it's a brand new thing. I, of course, brought this up publicly, and this particular issue is as old as the jabs themselves. So this is from PJ Media, and I know you're aware of this probably already, but donating blood and the COVID vaccine. And then it says in brackets, corrected. It says, correction. The Red Cross requires a waiting period for many vaccines, including MMR, chickenpox, and live shingles vaccinations. The majority of COVID-19 vaccines, however, do not require a waiting period, it says. It says, acceptable if you're vaccinated with a non-replicating, inactivated, or NRNA-based COVID-19 vaccine manufactured by AstraZeneca, Janssen, J&J, Moderna, Novavax, or Pfizer providing that you are symptom-free and fever-free. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, there's other bullet points here. Well, I'll finish this list. It says, wait two weeks if you were vaccinated with a live attenuated COVID-19 vaccine, and then wait two weeks if you were vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine, but do not know if it was a non-replicating, inactivated, RNA-based vaccine or a live attenuated vaccine. Uh, again, your average shot-taking goon isn't going to be able to figure out one shot from the next. And if they're foolish enough to donate blood, what they're physically going to see is the blood clotting in the tube on the way out of their body, on the way into the bag itself. Kim Carter's brought that up specifically herself from her own experience. When she was taking blood from JAD patients, she was openly stating again, that it was clotting in the tube itself. It wasn't even making its way to the bag. This is highly unusual, but again, this is not new. People were warned about this from the word go. Again, it's as old as the jabs themselves. But now the Red Cross is saying there's a waiting period and that you have to indicate whether or not you're COVID jabbed or not. It's toxic blood, ladies and gentlemen. Again, it's 2024. This was first brought up in 2021. I uh, I don't know what else to say. It's just a story that's hit the carousel of stories, and we're all supposed to pretend it's a new thing. There's also this. Um, this is from preprints.org. Fresh off the presses here regarding a Peter McCullough, Jessica Rose, and Matthew Hal uh, Halma particular article, peer-reviewed, as they all agree, of course. Um, again, not unusual. 
but continues to prove that if you're jabbed, you're contagious and you're making people around you sick. Again, via electromagnetism, and that's at least one way. It is titled Inadvertent Exposure to Pharmacological Designed Lipo Lipid rather, nanoparticles via bodily fluids. Biologic plausibility and potential consequences. This is again from February 22nd. Here's the abstract. Bear with me here. It says, quote, Exposure to vaccine lipid nanoparticles, mRNA, adenoviral DNA, and or spike protein from one of the approved COVID-19 vaccines, or through secondary exposure as through blood transfusion, is a potential source of harm. It also provides this giant list of blood disorders, and it says, and it also causes, of course, many other blood-related conditions, frankly, most of which I can't even pronounce, so I'm not even going to bother. But you get, you get the idea. It says, the observation of adverse events has motivated investigation into the cardiovascular mechanisms of harm by COVID-19 vaccines and the biodistribution of vaccine contents. It says, biodistribution may not be limited to the body of the vaccine recipient as a growing body of evidence demonstrates the possibility of secondary exposure to vaccine particles. This can be via bodily fluids and include the following routes of exposure, blood transfusion, organ transplantation, breastfeeding, and possibly other means. Well, sexual contact, let's just say it, shall we? It says COVID-19 vaccines are associated with an increased risk of stroke, the persistence of vaccine artifacts in the blood presents a possible threat to a recipient of a blood donation from a vaccinated donor who suffered from vaccine-induced thrombosis or thrombocytopenia, VITT. We assess the feasibility and significance of these risks through an overview of the case report literature of blood disorders in vaccinated individuals. Uh, pharmacovigilance, if I'm saying that right, reports from the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, VAERS, and a meta-analysis of the available literature on organ transplants from vaccinated organ donors. Our analysis establishes bi- uh, sorry, biological mechanistic plausibility, a, co- a coherent safety signal in pharmacovigilance databases for secondary vaccine contents exposure for the cases of blood transfusion and breastfeeding and also an elevated level of adverse events in organ transplants from VITT deceased donors, echoing increases in organ transplantation-related complications seen in national statistics for some countries. Finally, it says secondary exposure to vaccine artifacts is a potential explanation for some of the cases put forth and requires a deeper investigation, unquote. It can't get clearer, believe it or not. If you have jab blood, you have toxic blood. It also, I, w- I would stretch it to bone marrow. Your bone marrow is toxic, so forget donating bone marrow to anybody. I'd go so far as to say your plasma is toxic as well. Not to mention, of course, your organs, as the study indicates. That's the way that it is. But again, I was driving around the other day, and I saw a woman wearing an N95 mask inside of her car, 
when it was 60 some odd degrees outside and all the windows were rolled up. I mean, I don't think she's going to get it. I don't think that uh, she has enough time to figure out what's actually taking place. So there's that. Uh, here's what I'll do. In the description below, I do want to mention, make mention of this. The FLCCC, and I know that I've criticized them before again with their connections to a bunch of different supplements and a number of other things. But as you know, and as I've brought up on the show here, uh, at least I think I did, Kim Carter has been experimenting with the methylene blue substance, or MB for short. And she's reporting amazing, uh, amazing effects from it. That her skin looks better, that she has more energy, that the brain fog is gone, that she's sleeping better, and noticeably so. I mean, she's very, she's very high on this, and and very, uh, very. It's she just has a very positive outlook on this. And again, she's been using herself as, as sort of a guinea pig on some of this. But she came across the oral dosage for methylene blue on the FLCCC's protocol review, and they have a YouTube channel describing it. I will link that in the description below, where you'll hear a doctor talking about specifically how they recommend that an individual take it. Um, she herself, again, is, I believe, taking it now in a, in a better dosage. She, again, sort of overdosed on it a little bit and was taking more than she had to. But uh, yeah, she's, she's openly described positive effects as a result. She also sent me this, and so I'm just going to share it with you. Is she, she talked to me about a Rife machine, R-I-F-E. Now, I was unfamiliar with this, but she described it, and it's basically a frequency machine. And you download an application on your phone, and then you plug this Rife machine into your phone. And then on the actual application itself, you can pick a particular ailment and then it will tell you a certain number of hertz that the machine will put out through your phone, and then it can decrease inflammation on particular parts of your body. Uh, she's again, has described using this with not only herself, but with others, and she says it, it works. And again, we, we know the history, and, and she brought it up the last time that she was on the show about frequency and how frequency does decrease inflammation for a variety of things and has been known to break up, of course, kidney, kidney stones and even cancer cells. So I will link all of this in the description below regarding the Rife technology and then, of course, uh, the methylene blue stuff as well and the protocol for taking that if one were interested. She also sent me this uh, just recently regarding, again, the phone outages, believe it or not, that uh, this is from inside insider paper on X, and it says, breaking pharmacies nationwide report out outages, rather, in wake of cyber attacks. So it was also interesting because at the beginning of this, they were saying, well, it was a solar flare and some weather anomaly. Now they're blaming it on a cyber attack. So which is it? Seems rather strange. But you want to talk about, you know, messing up uh, people's ability to maybe take a jab, go after the, uh, the pharmacies specifically, and their inability to upload any information or take and receive money. It's hard to know, but it, I mean, that would mess up a lot of things, of course, for a lot of individuals who require pharmaceutical drugs. But either way, 
uh, time will tell. And again, if it's white hats behind the scene, you know, plucking accounts and monitoring particular people's accounts and money laundering and things of that nature, well, we can hope for the best. Either way, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, have a great weekend, and I will catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.